Welcome back to the Green Element podcast, where we feature business leaders and innovators transforming their operations to be more environmentally and socially sustainable. I'm your host, Will Richardson, and I can't wait to meet our guest today and help you on your journey of sustainability. James, thank you so much for joining the Green Element podcast. Um, I'm really looking forward to talking to you because I know, along with probably many of our listeners, exactly who Intrepid Travel are. And um, travel is that, um, it's not an elephant in the room, but you know, we all know that travel has got implications, but there are so many positive things about travel that I think outweigh the negative. And so therefore, having organisations like you in the world is a really positive thing. So it'd be great to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about who you are, please. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me, Will. It's great to be here. So James Thornton, I'm the CEO of Intrepid Travel. Um, Intrepid is is one of the, uh, the the world's kind of, I suppose, largest adventure travel companies. Um, we, we really try and do two things as a business. We try and operate fantastic, sustainable, experience-rich travel, which is which is kind of our kind of core focus, if you like. And then the second thing that we try and do is operate a business that, that balances having both a, a strong purpose, but also delivering profitability and, and hopefully proving a business case that you can be a, a, a for-purpose business, but you can also be a, a sustainable kind of successful business that, that generates a profit for its shareholders as well. And that, uh, and then actually, the more, more good things you do in the purpose space, the more that helps you grow. The more growth you do, the more that helps try and drive a bit of purpose. So, so I've I've been lucky enough. I've been with Intrepid for 15 years, and been lucky enough to be the CEO now for three and a half years. I've kind of worked my way through the business, based in the UK originally, which is where I'm from, Australia, back to the UK, and then Australia for the last seven years. So yeah, super lucky to get to lead Intrepid. We're a we're a certified B Corp. Uh, one of the few travel companies out there that is, and um, and obviously navigating a pretty tricky time at the moment with with the COVID pandemic. But um, I'm sure we'll get onto that a bit later. Yeah, I think yeah, I think possibly I've tried to steer off um, COVID, but I think it really has impacted your business and organisation. I think talking about it could well be um, quite a useful thing to talk about because I would imagine navigating through it has opened up areas that you wouldn't necessarily have thought of opening up yeah absolutely absolutely it's been um yeah it's been of course the most challenging time for our company and indeed for any global travel company out there so uh, but yeah it's, it it does open up some new opportunities but um but yeah just looking through to get, getting out to the other side i guess <laughs> could you could you tell us a bit about how you engage your staff um suppliers customers about your mission and purpose um yeah I, I it's just something um it's something that's so embedded in in what we are and who we are you know i i kind of um a lot of people often talk to me around this this notion of our purpose uh being kind of a, a nice to do thing something that we um you know and it is linked to this covid environment because i keep getting asked well in a post-covid environment surely sustainability will drop off and actually you'll just go back to driving you know an economic uh, model of having to get more passengers in like i do keep trying to say that actually we find our our sustainable business model a competitive advantage and actually it helps providers with competitive advantage that helps actually drive revenue and, and sales and in turn then profitability so um you know our, our sustainable business model is at the the heart of the heart of what we do 
um, it's it's really why we entered um, uh, B Corp uh, certification two years ago. That was a three-year journey for us to go on, and and why we pursued that was because it's very easy in life to talk about how you grow a business or you um, operate certain products, but how do you prove that you have a, a sustainable model? How do you prove that you're a for-purpose for business? And at Intrepid, we wanted to find something that wasn't necessarily uh, industry-specific, but kind of went right cross-functional through every aspect of our company and looked at the way in which we work with our people, the way in which we um, interact with our customers, the impact we have on the environment, the way in which we try and benefit our shareholders, and really went right through through the journey. And, and that's what... Um, and that's what drove us to pursue B Corp certification and took us three years to get to that point to, to, to make it happen. So, yeah, it's just it's a good, good kind of evaluation of our, of our overall of our overall business and, and what we're trying to achieve. And how do you think, um, touching on B Corp, how, how do you think that has affected um, your business in the way that you run? Um, I mean, do you have do you try and highlight different areas of the world for people to visit or, um, you know. Yeah, no, not so much. But the thing B Corp did for us, Will, was, um, was change the way – it helped improve some of the things that we do in the organisation. So um, B Corp methodology essentially assesses you across 200 different touch points in your organisation. And it says – and it's really robust criteria. And, and the modelling, kind of you get, you know, 0.25 points towards a certain a certain issue. And – and so it highlighted to us, for example, that from a people perspective, we didn't have sufficient diversity in the leadership space. And that was often caused by the fact that we didn't have a, a maternity and paternity leave policy. So B Corp methodology helped introduce for us the notion that actually if we had a maternity and paternity policy, that would help us retain more and more um, uh, senior females in the organisation and they, in turn, would then not be dropping out of the work workplace uh, when they were previously dropping out. And that helped us then address our diversity issues that we had. It's other things like having um, in Egypt, for example, we um, we always negotiate with our, our suppliers. And often it might be a, a cooking school run by a female. Yet the male would come in and negotiate the commercial arrangement of working with the cooking school. And we'd say, well, actually, B Corp methodology rewards you for doing contracts directly with um, females and males in, in equal fashion and so it prompted us to, to review our kind of ethical supply code in terms of the way in which we work with some of our, our local people on the ground so I know just it was lots of lots of small things that I think have helped make us a, a better business and a better business for the people that work with us um, the people that work for us um, hopefully for our customers too and it's this great um, thing you have to do. You have to be reassessed every three years and you have to you know, meet certain credentials. And we, we kind of use it as a benchmark to say, well, every three years we want to try and improve by four or five points. Um, and we get then compared against every other B Corp out there in the, in the market. There's three and a half thousand B Corps around the world. Some are very big, you know, the body shops, the Patagonias of the world. Some are very, very small organizations. But we've all got this kind of comparative scoring between us, which is um, which is. Yeah, it's pretty good, and it's it's very transparent, and hopefully gives customers and all our stakeholders a a good view of the things we do well, but also well the things that we don't do well. And as any company doesn't doesn't do certain things um, as well as it could and needs to improve, and so it's been good for that. Yeah, I think that's um, 
we've been a B Corp now um, since 2015. And um, what it brought to us was structure um, similar to yours. But it's interesting that you um, have brought in, it's how you've communicated with your suppliers in the separate countries, because that has such a powerful message that is then sent through to people, won't it? Absolutely. and I think, Will, as well, just to, just to add one point there, I think it's a really good thing, as, as I hope, you know, I'm sure you found and, and we've certainly found, there's lots of people with great intentions out there, you know, and, and there are lots of great companies trying to do lots of really good things. But unfortunately, there's also a degree of greenwashing that goes on as well, sadly, where things are just good marketing, unfortunately. And I think, you know, when, when you are, when as a consumer, you're out there trying to pick pick a company and should I work with this company or should I buy this company's products or should I be employed by this company? Trying to define the difference between good marketing and actually what, what really is a business that is, is designed to be, be for good is often hard to do. And we've certainly found that B Corp certification does, does help provide a, a point of distinction. On, on that, so um, kind of, and the, the, I have not looked at it in massive detail, but kind of, company per hundred thousand or per thousand people i think australia and new zealand have more b corps than any other country in Mm. the world um, including the uk and the uk is fairly strong on b corp and uh, i think i was looking at stuff the other day and thinking wow that is a lot of b corps in australia and new zealand and it was up there with the uk and we know that there are more population um so do you do you see your customers um, picking you over others because there's more knowledge around B Corp in Australia? Um, so, I mean, firstly, 50% of our customers are Aussies and Kiwis, 25% are Brits, 25% are Americans and Canadians. That's our kind of global split. You know, in Australia, of the three, of, sorry, of the three and a half thousand B Corps globally, 10% are in Australia and New Zealand. So it is a disproportionate amount by head of population. To your question, do people pick us as a direct result? I don't have any tangible results, Will, that say yes. I, I can't I can't sit here now and say, because we are a B Corp, yeah. that then generated me an extra 20% of customers. I can't tell you that. All I can tell you is that in, in the last four five years, we've been back in, under the ownership of our founders and our, our staff. We have about 70 shareholders, so our two co-founders and about 68 of our staff are are now shareholders, which is fantastic. And we've pursued two things, growing the market for sustainable experience-rich travel, operating a business that um, balances purpose and profitability. The more things we have done in the purpose space, the more that, uh, and we've talked about that, the more that has helped us grow, and the more we grow, the more we're able to do good things in the purpose space. And we do believe that is cyclical and that has helped drive the 21% compound average growth rate that we've had over the course of the last four years and the record level of profitability we've had. You know, our, our, our B Corp, our sustainability um, uh, things that we're involved in, they cost quite a bit of money, but we tangibly believe they help drive our growth better as an organization and, and not just drive our growth better as an organization, Will. They help us attract better people. And I really, you know, I really, well, and we do know this as, as one tangible thing, we are able to employ a higher quality of talent than we would ordinarily be able to um, attract into our organization because we are a certified B Corp. And particularly millennials want to work for companies that actually stand for something. 
So I think that's that's really helped us as an organization. So no, it hasn't. I can't give you a, a metric to say it's driven customers outside of our results would suggest it probably has, although indirectly, but it does help us attract talent into the organization. Yeah, okay, that's interesting. Just I, I think it's that concentration of e-corps that I kind of looked at and went, wow, that's actually quite um, interesting that it really has, the communication has just really worked really well yeah. in yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Australia. Um, responsible travel. Could you... Um, you've got you've got a lot of information about responsible travel on your website. What, in your view, what is responsible travel, and how can people travel more responsibly? It's funny. Responsible travel to me, and this I, I've been I've been with Intrepid for fifteen years, and I remember when I joined Intrepid, and and uh, in nineteen ninety nine we recruited our first responsible travel manager. Two thousand and two we started the Intrepid Foundation. And we've gone on to reach some other pretty impressive benchmarks since then. Um, back in 2005, when I joined, responsible travel was a real niche, niche, niche thing. You know, Pete, you'd go out and I, my job was uh, I was a, a kind of a sales rep in the UK, going around to travel agents in the UK and and, and selling the Intrepid programs. And, and half the time, more than half the time, people would look at you with a bit of a puzzled face, thinking that you were a bit of a tree hugging hippie and um yeah not nice to do but who on earth cares and, and off you go you know go forward to 2020 and i think any company that doesn't yeah have strongly talked about its responsible travel philosophies or its sustainable travel philosophies is is frankly you know a mile behind the times and people often say well what, do, what is responsible travel for intrepid how does that make you different and um, um how can other people become more responsible and i almost do it to this notation of a supermarket when you go into a supermarket and they have a health food aisle it gives the connotation that every other food in the in in the supermarket isn't healthy and i think of that a bit like responsible travel now so you know it's either intrepid's a responsible tour operator so does that mean that everyone else or other other companies that don't market themselves as responsible tour operators are not not responsible in a fashion and i think the big thing that we are increasingly trying to do and, and the big work that we've done over the last four or five years is just advocate for responsible travel not being a niche anymore but just being the norm and and being the norm of the way in which people want and and should try and travel and i think a lot of people hear the words responsible travel and they think oh my goodness i don't even know where to start and it sounds so intimidating so in fact i might just make up some marketing and then bury my head in the sand a bit and what we're intrepid are trying to do is to share as much of share as much as possible some of the successes that we have had as an organization so for example we just open sourced an animal uh, animal welfare kit talking about the steps we've taken to improve animal welfare experiences on our trips and share that with the industry so that they too can start to take some steps because it's a bit like um, technology or artificial intelligence for a non-technology person like myself when someone says artificial intelligence i kind of freeze and say oh goodness me i'm, I'm not quite i don't even know where to start but as, as someone who explained, explained artificial intelligence to me, it said, well, when you ride a bike, you don't start by doing wheelies. You start by doing little bits and pieces. And really, with responsible travel, we believe it's about picking up something that means something to you as a brand and then starting slowly and building and improving on that. And to be honest, that's all that Intrepid has ever done. We started, you know, it was really a kind of ethos of, of Daryl Wade and Jeff Manchester, our founders. But you know, then with our first responsible travel manager in 1999, and then since then, all the steps that we've taken, 
all we've ever tried to do is try and improve a little bit year on year on year on year. And the fact is we just started in, in most cases probably 10 or 15 years before most other companies, which is why we now have a bit of a head start now. But um, it just is ultimately about trying to get some, some incremental improvements and, and also recognising as well, Will, that things we've done in the past weren't, weren't quite right in the past and putting your hand up to that. And, you know, we've talked about that a bit with the, um, the steps we took to ban elephant riding. You know, we did that for 25 years and, and then became one of the first tour operators to ban elephant riding and other areas where in the past we've done things that weren't quite right. And it's addressing kind of the wrongs you've done and trying to improve on them and, and, and move forward, I think. I think learning from your mistakes and learning from others is absolutely key in this whole sustainability because it's not, it's not black and white. Nothing is no. black and white. It changes. No. It changes fairly regularly as well. And that's another really hard thing to talk about, isn't it? It's that change of actually now we know more information than this. So therefore we should probably change that, even though we've been advocating this in the past. That's right. And I think people shouldn't be afraid to say, oh, we actually got it wrong. <laughs> and, um, and and now this is what we're going to do about it. And and with anything, it's the, it's the more educated you become over the course of time, makes you realise that things you did in the past weren't quite right. And, and now um, but you can take steps to move forward with it. So uh, again, as a, well, it's one of the other things of B Corp methodology, Will, and I'm sure you found it, is you know, it promotes openness, honesty, and transparency. And, um, you know, you've got to be open, honest, and transparent. And, and that involves uh, recognising that certain times you don't get everything right. And um, and when you do, put your hand up um, and, and then then work to make it better. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that openness and transparentness is so key to any business conversations that we should all be having now. Um, and going on to that, so running an ethical and sustainable business, what would you say your biggest struggle so far has been? And can you tell us a bit about how you've overcome it? Biggest struggle? Um, uh, look, it's, it isn't easy to just balance all stakeholders. It's a very nice line to roll out. Sounds very good, but it's really hard. You know, I mean, you know, I, I, I guess I'm funded. Why people sometimes say, well, why do I, why do I work in Trepid 15 years later? And why am I proud to be the CEO of the company? And it is because I think ultimately one of the key drivers for me is trying to prove a business model uh, or a, a business model that um, you can be for purpose, but also for profit. And there's a notion, isn't there, that um, if you're a for profit business, you're kind of an oil refinery, you know, churning out dollars and dollars and dollars at local people's expenses and the expense of the environment. And that's what a for-profit business is. It must be screwing someone somewhere. Whereas if you're a for-purpose business, well, you've got to be a, an NGO. You know, the only way you can be truly for purpose if, is if you're an NGO. And I, I just think actually both are, both are rubbish. And why can't there be a model where you can, um, you can drive strong uh, purpose outcomes but that, that in turn, you can drive a strong, um, growing, profitable result. Um, and and that's, that drives me a lot. I, re I really, you know, I'd love to wrap my time with Intrepid and say, you know what, I was, I was actually able to prove a business model that a company could do both and, and report on that openly and honestly and transparently. So that's probably one of the biggest challenges because um, if it were easy to do, Will, I, I presume more people would just do it and, and like someone... Uh, wise said to me once if if everything if if, if it wasn't hard everyone would do it <laughs> yeah. and so and so it is hard it is hard to balance all stakeholders to ensure that you know you're, you're looking after your customers as best you can to ensure that you're looking after 
your um, employees as well as you can to ensure you're having a positive impact on, on communities and and um, and the environment. And a good example of it, Will, and a classic example is when coronavirus hit, um, Intrepid was quite under the microscope for a, for a few weeks around um, not responding quickly enough to customer refund requests. And, and then as we worked through the refund requests with our customers, um, customers um, being quite frustrated that we were sticking to our terms and conditions around certain elements and saying, well, you say you're a for-purpose business, yet this is just a profit grab. And, and you know, it's, it's it's not those two things. You're you're really just trying to balance balance all stakeholders and make sure that you um you you run things as openly and, and as fairly as you possibly can. But there are times that things come into uh, uh, come up against each other, and and you have to make as best decisions you can under that that B Corp methodology, which does clearly promote that. One, we are a for-purpose business, but we are also a for-profit business, and so uh, so that's probably the biggest challenge I think we're trying to aligned to all stakeholders as best we can. If you could offer one piece of advice to our listeners to help them with their purpose, what do you think that would be? um, I think I would say um, to um, find something you find something you really believe in when it comes to purpose. I, I think you quickly get found out if you're not genuine. Will I think, I, I get frustrated sometimes, and 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 you, where companies jump on the bandwagon or of every single thing that's going on, and so, you know, I've I've been accused sometimes. Well, why are you speaking up, up around this event? Do you do you not care about that? Does Intrepid not care about it? And you think, well, yes, Intrepid cares about it, and I care about it, but it's not necessarily our place to speak up about every single um, issue that goes on in the world. I think it's very important to pick the issues that are close to your heart close to your business, means something to your customers and to your employees, and then do as much research as you possibly can and um, set yourself some targets of what you want to achieve and then then speak up about them and share about them. So I, I think it's it's just encouraging um, people to, to pick something they believe in, be robust around it, speak up about it, and not try and be something to everyone. Um, I think that that would be the key thing for me. Okay. Yeah, and I'd like to move on to environmental management and carbon footprinting and understanding sustainability as an organisation. Have you, I mean, what have you done as an organisation from a carbon footprint point of view or environmental management? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so our, I guess our carbon journey for Intrepid dates back to 2005 was was where the uh, where it first came to our our, our kind of um, attention. And in 2005, our founders got got many of the managers in our organisation to read Tim Flannery's The Weathermaker's book. And it was a bit of a kind of aha moment for us that, hang on a minute, we are a, uh, we're a travel company that's advocating to get as many people across the world as we possibly can um, to experience fantastic cultures. But in doing that, we are having a detrimental impact to the, the, uh, the thing that we actually get to show off, which is the earth. And um, we, we might need to change tact here. And then in 2007, one of our co-founders did Al Gore's um, climate training. Um, uh, we, we actually ended up getting about 150 of our staff to go and watch the Inconvenient Truth movie. We got 2,000 customers to go and watch the Inconvenient Truth movie. And, and um, we asked our customers what they thought about the movie. And they said they wanted Intrepid to do something about, about, about carbon um, and, and carbon that was going into the atmosphere as a result of Intrepid's travel activities. And so 
in 2007 as a result of that we made or 2008 i think it was we made a commitment to want to become a carbon neutral organization and um and we managed to we managed to make that happen by 2010 um so you've been a carbon neutral business for for over 10 years now i think um it's a great example will of something that um 10 12 years ago seemed like we were a kind of market leader in the space of doing it and we still i still do talk about it proudly now that we became a carbon neutral business in 2010 and that we've uh you know offset more than like, it's over 300,000 tons of carbon emissions and and the way in which we have revised our reporting methodologies in line with the national carbon offsetting standards but the the, the frank reality is that that um being a carbon neutral company is is not enough in 2020 um uh, if we are going to meet the commitments of um, the paris agreement or the paris accord then um you know being being neutral is is not going to suffice unfortunately and so as an organization we have been challenging ourselves quite a bit over the course of the last couple of years to say well hang on a minute Carbon neutral was was fine ten years ago, and actually, it better well, our belief anyway is it was better to be carbon neutral and and do something do something than do nothing. Um, mm. But now it is no longer enough, and we're not going to stop we're not going to stop the intention of being carbon neutral. But we have to we have to do more. We have to go more. And and what is what is that that methodology going to be for us? And last year we talked a bit about wanting to become a climate positive business. Personally, I'm not convinced that, that that's the right terminology or even the, the right the right way to be talking about things. Um, I think what we've got to do is go right through our imply, entire supply chain and work out how we're actively going to be reducing, just, just reducing the amount of um, carbon that we create. Forget neutralizing it, just the carbon we create. And we have to have an active reduction plan. And that's something that we've been trying to work on or certainly we're trying to work on in the lead up to COVID. Unfortunately, our attention has been a little little relayed by trying to uh, work through the, 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 the COVID um, world that we live in the last few months. But once we get back on top of that, the other side, you know, we'll be challenging. It's around, it'll be around the reduction of carbon for us rather than neutrality of carbon. So sorry, a bit of a long answer there. No, it's a really, it's a really tricky one, particularly for an organisation like you, because, um, and I inferred this in my opening gambit, the, I personally think that what, you do by sending someone to a remote area in Kenya or um, in a in a responsible fashion actually does more for the planet than carbon the flight itself we've got we I wouldn't say world peace but we certainly have much more peace from understanding each other's cultures now than we ever used to and it's that understanding cultures and understanding who we are and where we all fit in within the world is incredibly important to the world. And, um, you know, that, and that's where flying works. Whatever anyone says about flying, it works in that we understand each other. And yes, it's great that we're talking to each other. You're in Melbourne, I'm in Edinburgh, and we're talking to each other over the internet. But, face to face you can't travel that way and you know so you've got to have face to face you've got to have people um communicating with each other in a more meaningful way um and yeah i think i think it's hard i don't really know what i'm saying but i think it's no, hard. No, no, no. <laughs> and it's, it is hard isn't it well because you know on the, we've we've 
during this COVID pandemic, and it's you know the world has been essentially forced to stay at home for its health, haven't we? And you know moments like the I suppose the transformation of Venice's canals and sea turtles thriving thriving in Thailand, um, and being able to see the Himalayas from from villages in India and Nepal, which haven't been able to see them for for you know a number of years now. They're all really positive signs as a result of us being forced to stay at home. But there's also some some serious negatives in us staying at home too. And you know what is the impact to these local community? You know, so many local communities around the world that um, benefited from from tourism. What is the negative impact to the the fact that I do still fundamentally believe that getting out and seeing the world provides you with a better perspective and and hopefully a more peaceful perspective and a realization that actually people are incredibly similar in their desires, whether they have a different religion, a different race, um, different belief systems. Actually, when it comes down to it, we are ultimately quite similar and getting out and seeing the world and understanding that gives us, a, I think, a, a slightly better outlook um, and, and the benefits that therefore therefore come with that. So, you know, it isn't it isn't cut and dry. It's not black and white. It's a very it's a very grey area. It's a very difficult area. Um, I think just for Intrepid, it's it's the recognition that you know we, we've we've really advocated around car- carbon neutrality for a long time. I'm really proud of the work that we've done in kind of leaving the space over the last you know 10 to 12 years. But a recognition that it is no longer enough, and and we need to do better. And like all things in life, we need to do better and and try and keep improving. And, and that will be an important area for us. But at the same time, still wanting to get people out and seeing the world and having the benefits of that. But you know, there's other ways we can do it where we can you know, remove flying from some of our itineraries and, and have more local transport. And, um, you know, we have always been a local local transport provider. We tend not to run our own, you know, buses ourselves. So there are other methods too in terms of reducing that impact that still allow people the benefits of, of travelling too. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, I think it's really important. The, um, talking about carbon neutrality, I mean, I, I remember my first um, car, I was, I did a carbon offsetting project back in 2004, 2003 for a company. And you look, it was so rudimentary. I literally, you buy renewable energy and you've got lots of taxi, you minus one by the other. And that was our carbon offsetting project. And um, and it, things do move on. And more and more research is now um, available for people to be able to understand the implications of carbon offsetting and um, what we should do. And we we know that 73% of carbon offsetting projects are um, don't negate carbon. So therefore, um, I mean, where do you see, and I know that I've kind of just thrown this in to you, but, uh, but you've already inferred that um, carbon neutral was brilliant 10 years ago and then we're learning as we go on um where do you where, where do you see yourself going or and it, you may not be able to answer this because it is ever evolving and it's ever moving yeah so wh- where do we go from here Will? well the, the first thing that intrepid did um uh, I, i'm trying to remember how long suzanne has been with us so about 18 months ago, Intrepid um, recruited its first climate scientist. So actually on our on our payroll is a uh, – we have a doctor, Dr. Suzanne Etty. She is a um, qualified car, um, climate scientist. And what, uh, what, what Suzanne has introduced or increasingly introducing into Intrepid is um, working towards science-based targets. So 
you know, we're kind of moving away from this notion of car um, uh, carbon neutrality and moving towards setting emission reduction targets in line with climate climate science. That that's the the move in which we're trying to do. Now, I'm I'm not an expert in it, and if if Suzanne was here, she would be um she would be ridiculing me for what I what I'm saying. No, but she wouldn't. No, she wouldn't. You're saying, you, and I didn't want to bring science-based targets up just in case you hadn't. But that's, I think that is absolutely the way forward. We help an awful lot of organisations through the science-based targets, and we have it ourselves at Green Element. And um, it's brilliant to hear because I think aligning yourself with the global goal of net zero by 2050 and the 1.5 degree increase by 2030 is incredibly important. And so the challenge for us was just understanding and getting rigor around our scope one and our scope two targets and then classifying those and getting the rigor behind them and getting the reductions in place. And so Suzanne has set for us and come to our leadership team and says, right, you know, we need to reduce our scope one by a, a certain percentage over the course of the next uh, five years. And we're going to do this on an annual basis by this methodology and our scope two um, in this manner. So that that's that's ultimately what we're working towards doing at the moment is is the the SBTIs and um, and implementing that through the organisation. It's been slower than we would have liked because of COVID, but um, but you know having her leadership help us through will be be critical on that journey for us. Yeah, it's a science based targets is such a fascinating way to look at um, reductions because it, because of the fact it aligns yourself with what actually should be going on within the world. And um, that one point, it's that critical 1.5 degree increase. And Absolutely. the fact that you have to include 70, 73%, 75% of your emissions, um, of total emissions um, within that, which means you really have to, you've got robust targets. I've sat in so many meetings where, what targets should we do next year? 20%, 5%? Yeah. It's like, man, I wish... And you can understand the ambiguity. You can, you right? can. You can. What, what do you set? It's but, you a know, finger in the air. <laughs> and, that's, and, and probably, Will, that's where we would have gone if we hadn't, um, you know, recruited Suzanne. And it's just been important, you know, back from 1999 when we had our first responsible travel manager to now having a responsible business department to now being a purpose department, which now has our own dedicated climate scientist in. It's how we've become better. And we didn't go from nothing in 99 to suddenly having this setup that we've got now it is that progressive and incremental improvement and back to the you know, question of what can businesses do it's it's getting that and that that incremental improvement and also will taking responsibility yourself you know i'm not a you know my background was not to become a um a purpose or a climate guru but as a leader of a four-purpose business you have to take responsibility to educate yourself and, and understand understand better in the same way you do around um, financial management as a CEO, you, you know, a, a, as you increasingly have to do around um, digital transformation. Well, same as you're going to have to do around purpose and around being a responsible business and around climate science. If you know, you've got you've got to take take it as seriously as some of those other metrics. I think. Well, I think that we work we work somewhat in your industry, and I know that you, your company has a huge amount of respect, but lots of people aspire to be intrepid or um you know so you're clearly doing all the right things and from what i've read you are and i think we need more organizations like you in order to be able to better ourselves and to because you you aspire to be um the best person don't you or the best organization and if that 
bar is really low, then that aspiration is going to be much lower, but you're setting that bar really high. And I love the fact that you are wanting to continually improve and better what you are doing. And um, it's just really refreshing to hear. And I guess it shouldn't be, uh, you're a B Corp, you're a purpose-driven business, it shouldn't be a surprise. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it just, it's just the, it, it's it for us, you know, growth is very easy to measure, isn't it? We we measure growth through through um, through revenue improvements, through customer satisfaction, through profitability, through uh, staff enjoyment. You can really measure growth, but you know, you've got to have the same rigor around purpose. Otherwise, it's just window dressing and it's greenwashing, and and that's what that's what we try and do. And and I think, but also admitting that we are not perfect and we know everything, you know. And I think that's really really important too. Is I think you know when you see great companies doing good things. Um, when they become a bit holier than holy, it's when you start to lose a bit of, um, I don't know, a bit of respect or you, you don't quite buy into it as much. And, you know, we, we produce an annual integrated report using integrated reporting methodology. Um, and and we are, we try and be as open as this. You know, this is what we've done. These are the successes we've had. This is what we've learned. And this is what we're going to try and improve on, on going forward. And, and that's what we've what we've always tried to do and um, we kind of it links back to the kind of people we want to have at intrepid will and, and we have this notion of hungry humble and smart that's that's ultimately what we're looking for um and uh i'm not sure i fit any of those bills but um but you know I'm sure we, you. we are trying our best <laughs> um and finally i guess what would be great is if you've got any advice or learning for anyone listening to this podcast well, advice or learning, I, I, it's probably reiterating what I've already said, Will. I think um, I think the key thing is to to find something that you are you you are passionate about, something that you really believe in. I have a strong belief in in life that if you are if you are passionate about something, chances are you could, you've got the best best possibility of of being successful in it. So, you know, when it comes to issues of of sustainability, they are not going away. They're going to be even more at the forefront of um business at the, the forefront of, of life um and so so educating yourself looking at, at people or businesses that are doing well um learning from them starting small try not to do it try not to run before you can walk trying not to do everything all at once not being afraid to fail not being afraid to, to speak up and not always get it right um you know i think they're they're, they're the key things and um you know, I think increasingly we are going to see, um, and we have seen it, we've seen in the 15 years I've been at Intrepid that uh, responsible travel or sustainability, it's going, it's, it's increasingly gone from being a niche to increasingly being mainstream. I go and speak at conferences now. It is often at the top of the agenda um, at conferences, and that's only going to increase. I mean, and more and more people are going to want, they want experiences and authenticity, and they want it to be done in a sustainable fashion. And so, you know, um, it, it is increasingly going to be an important area for, for all of us in, in business, in the way in which we consume products, in the way in which we live our lives. So, yeah, that's um, that's probably my last my last gambit. I don't know if that, any of that made sense, but that's no, it. it makes complete it makes complete sense, and it's really refreshing to hear. Um, what would what would you say would be the best way to connect with you and learn more? Obviously, all of the Twitter handles and everything will be on our um, websites. But, yeah, look, we've um, we're pretty active on the social media space, particularly Twitter and LinkedIn. Follow follow Intrepid, follow myself. We we try and post and share as much as possible. We have just um, shared shared a couple of open source documents around um, around around climate management, around uh, animal welfare, 
um, and, and, and reach out to our teams as well. You know, we're, we're, we're pretty happy to, to share our experiences and, um, and, um, and try and help other companies to, um, and, and other people to, to try and go on the journey as well. So, you know, reach out to us directly through our, our social channels and, and the Intrepid websites and, you know, Intrepid, Intrepid offices all around the world. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today, James. It's been absolute pleasure having you and um, listening to um, you talk about Intrepid and what's, what, you're, what you're doing there. Perfect. Thanks, Will. It's been great. Have a great day.